This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Welcome to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler, and this is the seventh time I've been, I've tried to record this introduction. Uh, today on our episode, we have a narcissist abuse survivor named Sophia, and she brought a lot of energy to the show. She busted out some great lines. Uh, a couple I will be stealing. Uh, I will be pointing out one of them specifically. Uh, I'll probably use it in, in a, a book of mine uh, in the not too distant future. And, uh, you know, there is another point in this, uh, conversation where I do start talking a lot about myself. I, I kind of felt a little bit self-absorbed or self-centered, but I've dealt with it since then. And, uh, it was a really good conversation we had and it's rare that the conversation kind of gets flipped where she's asking uh, me questions, but that, that happened. And we, I worked through some things, we worked through some stuff and it was, uh, uh, an experience on, on the podcast that I haven't had yet where someone's uh, turned the table on me. So that, that was interesting. And without further ado, I'm just going to let you guys uh, listen to our conversation. And thank you for everyone who's listening today. Uh, on the line with me, I have Sophia. Thanks for coming on the show, Sophia. Thank you for having me on the show. I just wanted you to know you're... Um your coloring book is a riot. <laughs> it, it, I have never seen anything like it in the healing oh. community. And I think it is an absolute riot. Well, thank you. I, you know, I try yeah, no and tackle everything with a sense of humor and, you know, the beginning of this podcast, when it started, it started really as just a companion podcast to, uh, my book. And if you listen to the first two episodes of this podcast, it's pretty, it's a, it's pretty jokey. And uh, the second one, uh, when I had my friends listen to this podcast, they said, you got to either pick jokey or kind of go serious. Because the second episode was a middling one where I had my friend on discussing uh, her, her narcissistic past. And then eventually, uh, the episode three, uh, stuff went on again with my family. So I talked about it. And people really started, really took to that one. So all of a sudden, my, my jokey podcast turned into this. Um, oh, my goodness. You've got to have humor because you can't, you can't write this shit. You cannot make this <laughs> stuff up. And, that, you know, I've learned a lot since uh, listening to everyone's stories. I see a lot of myself in these stories. And I also see mm-hmm. myself kind of like, as everyone will question at a certain point, am I the narcissist? Uh, in yeah. all these things. And then, you know, I started going to Codependence Anonymous at the beginning uh, dur- during these podcasts and uh, kind of getting further into this and trying to like create more of a story, not just a story, but make these as entertaining as possible. Yet people are able to tell their stories. They're impactful and, you know, still trying to be uh, me, which is a humorous individual. Uh, coping in this in this world so anyway i'm off on a tangent this is your story no I, no I, I love it i i your your website's amazing i i totally enjoy it and i heard you on mental health news radio and i was just i totally enjoyed it so that's how i got in touch with you so yep well thank you so now without further ado the floor is yours oh wow no pressure <laughs> well basically in a nutshell um 
I am no contact with my family. And when I say my family, my whole family, um, I've been no contact for, I'd say over maybe eight years, nine years. And it's various different characters in my family, no contact, but I'd say the main abusers, uh, for lack of a better term, about eight or nine years. Um, I was raised in a, an extremely dysfunctional family. Um, I didn't have the words for what to label them until I was a little bit older. And I was pretty lucky to do a lot of deep diving into stuff to figure out and the trail of breadcrumbs that led to narcissists, sociopaths and all that. So looking back, it, it, our family system was a closed family system. Um, it was a narcissistic family system. Um, I'd say more on the sociopath end um, with certain characters. Um, uh, I'd say my role was the scapegoat. Um, and that's how we lived, uh, fractured family, divorced family. And when I say I'm no contact, I, I like to also preface that I don't come from a very close family to begin with. And I'm not excusing that. I'm just saying it's like, there isn't like a, a table full of relatives sitting around somewhere waiting for me. You know what I mean? That I've walked away from my family anyway, was very fractured and divided and disjointed. So, um, I don't, I don't really have a, a huge family, but the family that I am, that I, I have cut myself off from is um, basically everybody. Mm-hmm. And what happened was when I went no contact, which wasn't like this big, great, you know, event, it was just like I had enough. And like anybody who, who's either been raised by a narcissist or, or lives with a narcissist, sociopath, you know, type person, the, the rhythm of their life follows sort of a chaotic vortex. Like it goes up and down and up and down and, and it was a, a, the rhythm, the stage had gone to another low level where the main abusers in my family were having another self-induced crisis, divorce, slash this, that. And that rhythm sucks you in, kind of like the Titanic when it's sunk. If you're too close, you're going down. And that's how it was. And I, I, I wish I could say what it was. It wasn't like I slammed my hand down. I freaking had enough. You just, you start to, your whole body and rhythm is attached to their chaos. And you, you know, I'm going to get sucked into this. I'm going to be blamed for this or I'm, you know, and I was very lucky. I don't know, call it universe, God, whatever. Um, I had moved to another hemisphere, literally. Um, and it just couldn't have been more perfect for me to have this, like, I've had enough, like low contact is not going to do it. Like it's not because even with low contact, like an occasional email, or here or there, it was still rattling and it, it just loaded with everything and it just sent me spiraling. And it was my physical symptoms, my lack of being able to enjoy my day, which I had normalized before for 30 odd years of my life. But here I am in this beautiful country with, you know, a wonderful partner and this opportunity that, you know, is like winning the lottery. And I could not enjoy the moment because my hypervigilance was so that I was tied into the chaos that was going on across the seat. And I had had enough. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I was able to at least pull away and go, this isn't normal. I knew it wasn't normal. I knew, you know, I knew that there was things that weren't, I recognized the pattern, right? You know, it wasn't like, oh, I just got smacked in the face. I had been watching YouTube forever. I had, I was fortunate enough to be in the health field. So I know about, you know, personality disorders and whatnot. So I recognized the patterns, but I needed to break the cycle. And I did that by saying, you know what? No more. 
So it wasn't like I let, I wrote a letter and announced it to family or said this is it. I just cold turkey, radio silence, goodbye. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, you know, there was the the two the term hoovering, which is like trying to suck you back in. Which it's funny, and you see all these families; they all do the same shit. I can say that. And um, so the, the hoovering was like an email here, a letter there, but it was still loaded with heavy emotional language to try to guilt me. And I would still, I would, I would read the email and I would sit with this rattling emotion and white knuckle through it. Because before I would just react and write back, you know, I would, I would feed them, you know, I would, I, I wasn't a, a doormat, but I would feed it. Even if I was saying, you know, you are, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, so, and I realized I can't do that. So these yeah, email these emails that you would get to Hoover you back in, they uh-huh. were they were guilt ridden over what types of things? Okay, so it would be dependent on like I had a, a relative of uh, my I'm no contact with my mother mm-hmm. and her sister would write me an email whom I don't really contact that much. You know what I mean? It's like there's not that close relationship and it would just be like you are ruining family, everybody misses you, nobody understands what happened, blah, 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 you know, and then it would be a laundry list of what everyone is doing and how wonderful and happy they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could not, it was at this point where before it would like make me hypervigilant, I would actually sit back and go, you can't be serious, right? You're not, you're not, you're not serious. So I was able to sort of elevate a little bit above it and not like be like, oh my God, I'm being like bullied and I'm 12 years old in my room again and the whole family again to be able to go, this is fucking not I'm not and I would just I just with her I wrote back listen you know that so and so is a sociopath and I've had enough and if you if you're gonna be triangulated then don't email me back very black and white not mean but very very succinct and she emailed me back like a 360 oh my god I love you oh my god I agree with you oh my I was like are you nuts you know and that I didn't even answer that email back because that would be another back and forth and crazy Hello? So, yeah, oh, yep, I'm oh, here. Sorry, I didn't, I, you kind of dropped there for a second. No, no, yeah. So, so that didn't, the Hoovering didn't, I think they sufficiently knew I had had enough. I did with one of my siblings who I, I, I feel like is taking the crown for this type of sociopath maternal narcissism that is rampant in my family. Um, I received a few emails from her, but she's very tactical. Her tactic was to, and this is why I'm not on social media. She used social media to very Machiavellian-like, befriend people that I knew that she doesn't know. And as social media will do, you can, you know, like a friend here, like, and somehow she was able to do that, which that's why I shut off social media. I could see what she was doing. And it's so ambient and sort of sneaky. And one day she emailed me um, that a friend of mine had emailed her some stuff that she has no business knowing. So I don't even know how that interaction happened. And so she sort of used that to parlay a sort of dialogue and sort of a mea culpa, like, I'll accept my responsibility if you accept your responsibility nonsense. And I fired back an email. I was like, oh, I, you know, which, of course, now I realize that's just feeding. But it was basically, no, you know, that's not what's happening. How dare you, the friend, you know, blah, 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 and do not contact me anymore. And the gross part about it was that instead of getting another email back, it was like, a laundry list of all my problems, you know, everything that's wrong with me, you know, there's, she's never more righteous than when she's in the wrong. 
And so it was like, oh my God, I love you. You're, you're so amazing. That's why I love you. You're like my best friend. I need somebody to talk to me like that. I'm not kidding you. I wanted to throw up. Mm-hmm. I, it was so, it, I, I was able to look at this go, my, my, they're, they're absolutely insane. I, and I'm suffering physical symptoms and I can't even enjoy being in another hemisphere in this beautiful country. And I'm rattled, physically rattled with anxiety and stress. It's like every bit of my life had reached a point. It was just too much. And I had had enough. And I was very lucky to find a therapist in this country that actually specialized in that particular type of thing. Specialized in, sorry, in in what? In like narcissistic abuse. Okay. um, Yeah, which is, you know, I've been to therapists who wanted me to have therapy sessions with my mother. And I'm like, are you nuts? nuts. She's mining this for intel. Oh, no, (laughs) no. That would have been the worst idea. The worst. Oh, God, no. She would have mined it for intel and it would have never ended. Yeah. So it was, that is when, and this was back in 2012, that I shut the walls and I said, that is enough. And when I mean that's enough, I went no contact. Now it was a rough road. It wasn't like, yay, I'm free. You go through enormous ups and downs, mourning. You know, I had younger siblings from my mother's second marriage who I was very protective of and loved them very much and was hoping they didn't go on the dark side. But unfortunately, with a family system like this, that in my opinion has been this way for four generations that I know of, um, there's no way it, it, they'll be put in the middle, or they're just going you know it's just going to disappoint you even more. There's um, you know children of my siblings um, that I had to unfortunately there was no way to be in a relationship with them again. Children are used as an additional eight, mm-hmm. and I had to make the choice to say you know what. I know you're using this child as a pawn, and I, I won't because I already started to see the symptoms, even in little children, the things that they say, you know, they learn how to gaslight young, you know, I already see it, and I w- refuse to, to continue. Like I said, I saw the patterns, but I needed to break the cycle, and so here we are years later, and I'm still no contact. When I say no contact, I do not, I'm not on social media. I never liked it anyway. Just, just to interrupt you for one okay. one second. Yeah, please, uh, um, please. Oh, no, no, no. Just for the, uh, for, uh, sorry, everyone out there who's listening. Uh, sound-wise, um, sometimes you're really high, and then sometimes you're really low. I was wondering, on your mm-hmm. end, are you uh, speaking, or is it just, uh, are you speaking high or low at certain points, or is that just uh, our, our connection? I'm, is it better now? I'm so afraid of screaming into the phone. I don't, it's better it. if you scream into the phone. Okay, is this better? Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Perfect. Okay, good. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone out there, I'm not cutting this part out. It's just part of the podcast. All yeah, right. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Continue. Sorry. So you tell me if this is better. Oh, it's better. It's better. It's better. Excellent. Excellent. So I forgot. <laughs> and no, you know what? No, it's just, it's no, I'm, I'm no contact in that. And it just works for me. And this is just my family. You know, I'm, I'm at a stage now where um, I'm able to have a better, higher perspective to actually see, gosh, what happened to my family? Why are they this way? Um, but it took a long time. And, and I'll, I'll say this, anybody that's lived in, in that family or in a relationship, it doesn't matter if it's family, whether it's a partner or whatever, your body absorbs that abuse and that toxic fumes and it's it's real that shit is real your body absorbs it and you have to calm that down in your body before you can even 
get to the nitty gritty psychological stuff to weed through that so that you can, you know, you can live again, not just cling to the life raft to actually live again. And, and it's calming the body because it does something to your body, you know? So moving, it, you moved to Australia, correct? I correct. Yes. Yeah, so moving to Australia, do you think you would have been able to do this in this amount of time if you did not live uh, over there? Ooh, that's a good question. You know what? I think that physical distance was like exactly what I needed. And, you know, and I wasn't that close. We weren't that close anyway. It's not like we came from a small town where everyone was around each other. Everybody's all over the place, all over the world. And it was still affecting me. So, yeah, I think oof, that's hard to answer. But I think being there actually really expedite, like it really helped. Yeah, I think the physical distance was huge. Yeah, because for me, you know, I live in the same town as my family. And for a period of four years, I think it was, four years, when I moved to Vancouver, I moved to the other coast. You know, I was only mm-hmm. three-hour time difference from, from where I am now. And, but since I was over there, it was at the time when, you know, there was no texting. Uh, so it wasn't like you could get, really get a hold of anyone. I had never felt more free uh, in my whole entire life because I didn't have calls. I didn't have this pressure. I was out of the loop on everything. No one could get a hold of me. Uh, email, no one really knew how to, or at least in my family, was an emailer back then. So it was really a freeing, freeing uh, moment of time where you're really able to separate yourself and really uh, discover who you are. In, in a way. Absolutely. You need the physical distance before you can work on the emotional stuff. I mean, you don't have to. No, let me correct you. It might, it's very it, different. From, it, it would just have, because I was so far away, it happened naturally. Yeah, it happened naturally. And I get that. And before I even moved to Australia, I had moved to another state. Something compelled me to leave the state that I was living in. Um, and I look back now and I realize that I was like, I needed to get away from them. Is you know, the reason that I moved to the state didn't end up working out. And, you know, and I realized that that was like the first step before I even moved to Australia. I was in, I was four States away, which was huge because there's no ambush. You know, I would get ambushed. I don't know about you, but like, or other people, but my family was big on ambushing you. Like if you're chilling on a weekend and all of a sudden you get called, like, Oh, I'm coming over. And you're like, Oh my frick God, you know? And they were big with ambushing your private space and they couldn't do that. And that was huge. You still had phone calls and emails, but even then, you know, I could feel them at that point, you know, but yeah, it started, it started with a big distance and then an even bigger distance. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my family <laughs> would say to me, so I, when I, when I got a house in Toronto, uh, my family, my, when I had my house, my family would say like, he never invites us over. <laughs> I think my parents were at my place literally the day I got it and then maybe three weeks later and then I never I never welcomed anyone over. It was my place to like Your do space, what I, yeah. to do what I needed to do because if that was invaded, I mean that would have been game over. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, do or do they are they like the ambushing type? Uh, no, well, it, my, I I don't have the same uh, story as you per se. Mine more has to do with uh, my brother, if anything, uh, of the type of yeah, uh, person yeah. that he is. So, if anyone actually did come over, it would be him. And when he did come over. Sometimes he didn't like to uh, to leave, and then I, I'm, I, you know, I was his keeper. Like it was like, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so then I would get the phone calls. Where is he? What's he doing? Da 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 da. And then I have to oh be like, uh, eventually, I'm codependent with him. I'm an enabler of him. And then there's all these other family things that kind of go on. Mine's a uh, a different kind of story because my brother became the narcissist after being a scapegoat. Yeah, no, yeah, the, the roles change, absolutely, and that's, like, that's the same in my family, in, in a sense, like, I get that, like, I can look back and see now that I have no contact enough, I I see my my bit, you know, I, I enabled my sister's bad behavior and everyone else's as well, because you're, it, for me, I was scared of her, which it's kind of, like, I'm sort of embarrassed to even say, because she's so volatile and so irrational. And on top of that, they have your, their finger on all your sensitivities and your, and your soft points. And if those things haven't been healed or you haven't worked on them, they're constantly going to be scratched at. So I, I totally get that. I, I, I absolutely enabled. Like I look at it now, like I was talking to my therapist, I've gotten over a lot of guilt. And there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of sadness. I had to grieve my younger siblings who I really wanted to protect another generation, another, you know, litter of children that are going to get thrown under, you know, this, this terrible mental affliction of my family. Um, but I was talking to my therapist and I said, you know, I look at it now, like I pulled away and I won't let them abuse me. I won't be in that dance anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that's, that's a huge part of it, you know, cause I, I, I totally see my, my codependent end when I look, look back. Absolutely. So can you discuss a little bit more about your sister and the, so she, was she older than you or was she younger than you? No, she's younger. No, yeah, she's younger. So you, um, so you feared her though? I, I feared her instability. Like I feared my mother's, like my mother always made me scared because she was volatile and angry and a rageaholic. And her life was like that as well. And it, you know, my independence, my sort of, very, you know, would rub against them. You individuate and become your own person. That rubs against them because they can't constantly gaslight you all the time. And my sister is basically like my mother. I mean, basically very, um, even at a young age, I can look back and she was very good at finding your fault and, you know, little things and pushing and pushing using shame. Shame is a big thing in my family. Shame, shame, shame. Um, and, and, and she was very good at that as a, as a young child. I can look at my other siblings, and I didn't see that with them. I, it's like they had hope. They were much kinder. But with this particular sibling, she was, was very cruel even as a little girl. Um, and with her, it's the instability and, the, and the, the, the cruelty, the cruelty of her, you know, it, which was hurtful. And I was sensitive to that. I was sensitive to the cruelty. And so she would be cruel to you. Would she, were there ever moments of where, where you guys got along? How, what's like the age difference? Oh yeah. No, that's the thing. That's like, I can totally see like, it's the same, like, I guess in a, in a, 
don't want to say not in a gross way, but like in a, in a, ro- a romantic relationship, there's that honeymoon period. My sister's very good at, you know, she had a friend once who, she, you know, another friend who she sabotaged with, and she said this. She goes, you know, when she's on, she's on. But when she's, you know, the monster, oh, my God, get away. Mm-hmm. So she knows how to, like any good narcissist, or so. I think they're more on the sociopath end because they there's a lot of really deep, you know, um, parasitic type of things they they do to people. But um, she knows how to make you, you know, you, she, she would make you, she acts like she knew you and use the things that you would tell her. And she knew how to empathize with you. There was a period when she was, she was like that, but it was up and down. It would, it would be so up and down, you know, and there was a time when she understood, like she used to co-sign a lot of my mom's stuff. And then when she started to, you know, go away in the other direction, which she was basically the same as my mom. Anyway, she would sort of act like she was an ally with me but it only, only to serve her purpose. And then the strange thing is that she'd, she'd, she'd be this way and act like an you know, ally and a friend, and then out of nowhere, if she can't get her way, she's going to use something that you told her or some sensitivity or something that she's gathered on you when you were vulnerable, and boom, hit you with it. And I'm not talking little things like, oh, you're ugly, or blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about, you know, big things, emotional things, mm-hmm. you know, and also lie, lie, like big lies, like, huge lies, like things that could change the trajectory of your life, things that could, she's made accusations about people that didn't, that didn't happen, accusations about me that never happened, that don't even resemble the truth. And then it's, and I, some of these things got back to me and I remember thinking, this is catastrophic. This is, you can't, you know, how did this happen? Like, how did this go under the radar? But that's how it is in my family. You know, how did, how did this stay down? So, so, you know, and then you just have enough, you know, you have enough, you have enough of that up and down and up and down. And did she have, uh, episodes where you had to come in and save situations at all, where you became like a fixer oh, of the family? Oh yeah. Oh my God. It was so bad. I'm so embarrassed. Oh my God. That was my role, dude. That was my role. <laughs> and I took it, I took it so, so seriously. I was, you know, and I, and it was in a way it's like, I think they knew that's how I felt important. And it would be, a lot of this stuff would be their own self-induced crises, like chaos and drama. When you sat back and you really watched it, you realized you're creating, you're starting these little fires and you, you know what I mean? And you're sitting back and watching it. That's where I had to accept my responsibility. When I stopped running to their shit, that's when they would get cruel. So the, oh, dude, you're like the best friend. You're so amazing. And then if I was like, dude, I'm not coming. You're, you're going to have to deal with this yourself. And then I get like, you know, what we call her dissertations of hate, which would be an email or a text where she would just get on her bloody soapbox and it would just be, and this and that, and you don't understand what family is and X, Y, Z about this. And you need to fix your finances and you don't know how to write a cover letter. And you're like, oh my fucking God, super on the soapbox. Up and down, up and down emotionally. Yeah. I'm going to steal that line you just said, which is dissertations of hate. Oh, my God. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, yet terrible uh, line, but it's a great line. Dissertations of hate. Have, did, you, sure. did you create that by yourself? I cannot take that. That actually was from a friend, oh. an ex-friend of hers, who uh, she, same thing happened to this person. This person was a really lovely person and got on the bad side of the sister, and the sister 
wrote her, of my sister and wrote her what she calls her dissertation of hate. And I've, I've taken that from her ever since. I'm stealing it now. I'm sorry. It's just a fantastic yeah. line. See, yeah, no, to, uh, absolutely. I've used it ever since. <laughs> so now you are at a place where you had mm-hmm. all this uh, happen to you as a child. Your mother, I assume, did the exact same thing as your sister, maybe to another degree, another level, because obviously yep, yep. she was the one you were supposed to be able to trust the most. At this point, you've moved across the globe. How do you, how did you struggle to trust other people? Uh, how many times did you get into relationships with people where you chose the wrong person? And how did your life unfold after that fact? Um, well, oof. I'm pretty fortunate that I am an introvert. So I don't tend to have a lot of people around me. Now, if that's a product of my upbringing or myself, so I, I by nature don't have a lot of friends and family, but I noticed in my life that in the way it manifested for me was in work situations. I would work and I would, the most narcissistic psychopath would somehow be in my orbit. And I, and, 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 I would examine myself and say, you know, I'm not sharing anything. I'm not, you know, being this doormat. I, I don't know if I've got a red light that says it, but somehow they would, I would, this is where those relationships manifested. Now I have had friendships in the past. Like I had a very toxic friend of me that was basically like repetition compulsion. She was basically like my mother and my sister wrapped under the one. And I got rid of that friendship, but that's how, that, yeah, I did. I did have that. I did manifest those relationships in real life. Um, but for me, I more see it in the workplace. That's where it is for me. And were you able to recognize it right away or were you able, were taken advantage of? Oh, my goodness. I was so taken advantage of. When I look back now at some of these characters, I feel like I was asleep at the wheel. It, 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 I didn't know how to advocate. I knew it was wrong. Like I said, I recognized the signals but I didn't know how to, you know, there were times when I put the hammer down, but I think when I really, when I really started to advocate for myself and really just started to, you know, course correct myself in some ways, and that took time, then it, it got easier. It did. It, you know, you're never not going to have psychopaths, people that said, particularly in the medical field, but it doesn't affect you to the effect that it does in the past. Like, I don't know how it would get so entangled, you know, Mm-hmm. It's like I had an. It's like I had a, a radar or something. Uh, you you yeah. said you said something there which actually rejogged my memory because uh, before we started our conversation, I I told you that I forgot my notes at home and it jogged me on one thing that I had written in my notes. And uh, in your preview, in your email that you sent to me, you used the word numb, and how uh, when you're yep. growing up, uh, you felt numb. Yep. Uh, can you explain that to me as far, I guess it was your feelings or, uh, how you felt for what period of time in your life? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. Numb is, yeah. I mean, numb, it was like, I was numb. It, it's like the freeze or fawn response, you know, Peter, I don't know if you know, Peter Walker's book on mm-hmm. CPTSD, he gets into that. And that's how I felt for such, I was a really significant time in my life was in my mid to late twenties. And it's like the stuff would happen right in front of me. Like the gaslighting is right there. And I would just freeze. 
the numbness, you know, you, you, when you're a kid, particularly in an environment that I grew up in where there was not one safe adult, you, you, you freeze. And is it, I don't know if it's because you don't want to be seen or because you're afraid something's coming or all of the above, but I had gotten the freeze response. I, became, I would become absolutely numb. And a lot of these characters, whether it my, in my family or if I'm out in the world, it, I, would, I would get numb. I would freeze. Mm-hmm. And that's something I learned as a child and something I recognize when I look back, when I do a look back on certain things and I go, why did I accept that behavior? All, it's not like it was very, a lot of this abuse in my family or even in friendships were, it was very covert. It wasn't like, it was, there was a lot of ambient gaslighting and all that stuff, but there was also some very covert stuff that was laid out all on the table for me to see, like red flags. Mine was like a banner slapping me in the face. <laughs> and I, and I, would, I would just sort of, you know, with my big eyes, just stand there. And not like that, I was like a doormat. I just, I think when I look back, it's like, I don't think I could believe that people could act this way, that their hearts could be this dark. Mm-hmm. And That's the only way that I can explain. Yeah. When you went right. over to friends' homes and you saw how their families functioned, is that when you started to realize, like, uh, my family doesn't function this way at all when you finally oh, realized yeah. what was going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when you'd have that, you know, when you, you know, there'd be people who had dysfunctional families. When you'd be around really functional families where there wasn't that heightened level of anxiety constantly present or, you know, gaslighting, ambient, this or that, or aggression, you know, barely, you know, the aggression that's like right under the level of, you know, cognition. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, from a very young age, I felt different. I felt off. I felt, you know, you know what I felt like? I felt not good enough to have a good family. Like we were, you know, like everyone else deserved to have a better family. Mm -hmm. So strange. And, you know, I, I I guess, maybe you felt a little crazy that these things are going on and not understanding fully what's going on. Did you have uh, friends when you were younger that witnessed uh, everything uh, growing up uh, to validate what was going on with you or no? No. And I'll tell you why, because one, my parents were divorced. I wish I did. My parents were divorced and we lived a very move around kind of life Uh. on two different coasts. It was back and forth, and, and even with my, my dad and with my mother, we lived in a lot of different places. There was no stability or no, you know, foundation to be able to have those kind of relationships mm-hmm. to where it was, you know, no, unfortunately not. Um, that- I had teachers, though. I had teachers, though, that could see it. Because when I look back, those thousand little hands that help you along that you don't see, I had teachers that could see it that were helpful in, in different ways. Yeah, Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, that's tough having, being, moving around and having that going on. Because when I grew up, uh, I had like three friends who saw what was going on. And I called them my witnesses to my life. Uh, because if, yeah. it wasn't, if it wasn't for them, I would have gone probably crazy. Like if, I, if, 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 you know, if I was moving around all the time, you wouldn't, there would be no one to validate. Who was the first person to validate to you what was going on? And how much do you love that person now because of them being the first validator to you? That's a really good question. Oh, my gosh. I have to say, I don't think there's anyone, and I'm not trying to be like, what was me? There isn't anybody in my family. Um, 
I'll have to say, okay, when I was 24, oh God, it was such a rough time with my mother. She had left her second husband. It was another chaos. You decided to move to the state that I was living in and, and she brought all her baggage with her. Anyways, make a long story short. It was all the same stuff, just chaos drama, this I'm the scapegoat, blah, blah, blah. And there was a girl named Stacy and she, her and her mother uh, were super lovely. And I went to hang out with her and her mother and I was telling Stacy what my mother was saying and doing. And, and, and her mother looked at me and she goes, your mom's toxic. Mm-hmm. You know, like, full on. there was no, like, well, you need to be patient. She was like, your mom's toxic. You need to, like, individuate away. These were all terms I never even heard before. And she was the first one to actually, like, really look and, and, and see. And, and, and as we conversed and had a really great conversation into the night, she was able to see full stop that, you know, I was in a toxic relationship. This wasn't like you're, you're to blame. She said, this is a toxic relationship. You need to leave. And I'll never forget that moment because it was the first time I heard the word toxic and, you know, my mother in the same sentence. But, yeah, how, how, did you, how, how did you feel after that? I felt validated. Yeah. I knew I wasn't crazy because inside myself, I knew, no, it's just that nobody sees it. That's the worst form. One other form of abuse is invalidation. I knew in my soul, my mother is wrong. She's, she's being abusive. She's, she's being crazy, whatever, you know, this is not right. She's destabilizing my life. I knew it. I didn't have anybody else to back me up, but I knew it. But when she said that, it felt like it was a relief, like someone took part of the load, but it was also the look on her face. You know, the look on her face was like, you know, your mom's toxic, right? That's just, that's not right. And so she was able to talk through things and, and it wasn't just talking it was what action steps I needed to take to say, listen, you don't have to put up with this. You're not 12. You're 24. And it was extremely liberating. And it gave me the, 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 the inertia to go and pack, pack my stuff and leave and not, and not even talk to her. Like she was, my mom was trying to bait me and instigate and push me to react. And I said nothing. Mm. And it was very, very liberating. Yeah. Cause for, for me, I, uh, well, besides my friends growing up, about, uh, I forget how many years ago, it's 2019, let's say 2008 or something around then, I, uh, I went with my parents, my sister, and my brother's ex-wife to a uh, counselor and a, a social worker, a psychologist, to uh, discuss. It was kind of like a pre-intervention with an addiction. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting in this room, like I've protested my brother's life uh, since I was a, little, a very tiny child and, and no one ever listened. I had like, you know, everyone sweeps things under the rug, everything along those lines. And eventually we're sitting in this meeting and everyone's telling stories and I'm not saying a thing. And I'm just listening to everyone enable and kind of not tell the truth and, and things along those lines. Yeah. Or just, just the sugarcoat things. And I'm like, why are these people are sugarcoating? Like, this is our chance to do something. You can't and, lie to your therapist. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually the psychologist stops and he goes, everyone here, he, go, he looks at me and he goes, you haven't said a word. Everyone here mm-hmm. isn't telling the truth. You know the truth you tell me the real story. And it was like, uh, for you, it was like the 4th of July, you know, um, fireworks went off for, for me at that point. I'm like, a professional could see through all of their crap. 
and is someone wants to listen. And it was such a, or did listen. It was so, I was ecstatic. Like I didn't care about anything else that happened in that meeting. I was so into myself at that point. Uh, I was just like, finally, like someone listened, even though it was only for it's like, validating. it was just so validating. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I don't know. You're living in this fog for so long. And then when someone's actually cut through it, it's like you're breathing fresh air. And they could see it so plainly and so easily. Um, Yet everyone else that you're surrounded by, like, as you said, likes to keep the fog down and like keep the smoke and mirrors going. Sure. So absolutely. That's what, yep. So you, I interrupted. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. No, you're fine. So you, you know, it seems like in your story, a lot of your experience was a somatic experience. And for people that don't understand that, it has a lot to do with your body and maybe your body hiding the secrets of what's going on from what I uh, understand maybe of your story. Can you explain uh, a little bit about that? Oh, sure. So it just the way it manifested for me was just intense anxiety that I had normalized. So I was living at a higher level of anxiety that I just sort of folded into normal. And sometimes that would manifest into bad habits like hyper busyness, um, you know, uh, over exercising. Those are just little examples, but there was the inability to really enjoy the basic things in life because I would always get pinged with the stress of something coming coming to get me. And so it, it was, it was physical. It was a physical feeling. It, it, it affected my, my digestion, my stomach. The first thing I would feel is the phone rings or there's an email from my family. The first thing that I feel is an intense pain in my stomach. I suffered from chronic migraines, you know, without, with no underlying reason why I don't have food allergies. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, nothing like that. Um, that in, insomnia, I would wake up panicked at three or four in the morning, um, just hyper, a high type of hypervigilance that I couldn't calm myself down. Now, for years, I had lived with that. I had normalized that. I had coping mechanisms that folded that into normal. But I had gotten to a stage in my life where I was slowly, and especially when I made distance between my family and myself, I was able to see and go, you know, in, bit by bit, address those things and calm myself that I could see what's under it, you know? Hmm. And that's how, that's, that's, that's how it happened being in Australia and sitting there and rattling in my seat when I should be for all intents and purposes, not say happy, but content. And I hear I'm, I'm rattling. My body is rattling. And it's the first time I actually was able to pay attention to it instead of, you know, hyper manic busyness to cover it up. So did you take some sort of uh, program or did you try and do all of these things by yourself? I probably did more by myself than I should have, but a lot of that was out of necessity. Therapy was expensive. And Mm -hmm. here in the States, uh, my insurance didn't cover therapy or I didn't, you know, I didn't really research what options I had, but I'd gotten to a point where I was able to afford therapy. And I also took, you know, I, I was able to do the little things like even exercise used to stress me out because my mind was always engaged, you know, Forget yoga and meditating. There was no way. Did your, um, did your family give you eating disorders? 
not with me, but in my, well, you know what? No, that's not okay. My, it is in my family. Mm -hmm. 100%. My, 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 there's characters in my family that do have that. Yes. Um, a hundred percent for me. I think I ate my feelings and I'm not trying to be funny. I like, I literally would eat my feelings. I was able to notice I had a very, uh, unhealthy. I would have never said that I had an eating disorder because I interpreted it very differently. But when I look at that, I used food to sort of push down the anxiety. Absolutely. hundred percent. And did it, did anything else manifest? Did you carry your body in a certain way or it was just, you you were just Uh, tense the whole time? Oh yeah. uh, Jaw clenching stuff, headache stuff. Uh, I would notice my breathing, my breathing pattern. Um, I would notice that people would say, are you okay? to me. And I'd be like, yeah, why? And you know, some people have like resting bitch face. I had resting trauma face. <laughs> like my face would, <laughs> would be peering into some, some future where cat- catastrophe was going to happen. And that's how my face would just rest. And this would be out when we're out at some fantastic restaurant overlooking the Harbor when everybody's jolly and singing and dancing. And I would just zone out into trauma, you know, um, heart racing and I'd have to calm myself down. And that, that began to happen. It seemed like the more I got away, the more these things started to interrupt my life. Like I could no longer run from it. So yeah, physical body tenseness. I carried a layer of weight, but I, you know, I eat very well. Aside from the fact that occasionally I'll down a box of donuts. Um, you know, I, I exercise, I'm not, and I'm just saying that just for, for me, but I carry a layer of weight that I totally believe was there to protect me because I was so afraid of, of the verbal abuse, the psychological abuse and the physical abuse that I just sort of, I guarded to where my body was actually like holding on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So after you were out of your house, you're mm-hmm. all the way in Australia, mm-hmm. eventually whatever was how you survived uh, before stopped serving you, mm-hmm. I assume. And you kind of started seeing these, uh, things crumbling. Were you, were you a glass half empty, uh, type person at this point or were you, did you have no, a positive frame of mind? No, I am. I, well, I know I was born a positive, happy person. I okay. know it. I know it. I, I absolutely know it. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I stayed in that symbiotic dance with my family so long is because I was, they kind of use that positivity, you know, they kind of would use it, you know, and, I would say, no, come on, we can do this. We'll be all right. Blah, blah, blah. You know, just to keep me in that loop. But no, I I knew that that's what, that's what got me through this. That's what helped me course correct. That's what helped me, you know, integrate the stuff that I was learning about my life so that I could, you know, I could like thrive. You know, I didn't just, like I said, I I didn't just want to be clinging to a life, life raft gasping for air, you know? So throughout this, you were actually able to keep your self-esteem upward. Um, as much as I could, as as I, didn't, could. I don't think I realized how much it was damaged in some areas. I, I think I tried to, I didn't, yeah, I think there was some self-esteem issues for sure. Um, it's, it's hard to see. Yeah. I think there was a lot of fractured in my esteem for sure. Self-love, mm-hmm. you know, my, my idea of self-love is who can I serve? Who can I help? Who can I, you know, in that way and, yeah, I think that's probably why I had so much anxiety because I was happy and I was at the beach or I was out of, on a holiday somewhere and I was happy. I was already stressed out because, you know, 
in my mind, how dare I be happy? Our family is going to come in and disrupt that because that's how it was, you know? So that's where your codependent type personality came into play because uh, you just didn't feel worthy of being happy. It was some point, yeah, because yeah. those are the messages that I heard. Who do you think you are? Or if I wanted to go with friends somewhere, it would always be like you're disrespecting the family. or where, You know, it's like my whole, all my time in my mind had to be focused on these intensely, you know, parasitic personalities. Mm-hmm. Everything, every minute, even I'm a reader. I'm a big reader. I used to lose myself in books. And I remember, you know, books being torn out of my hands because I'm not paying attention to said person. It's very jarring to your to your to who you are because mm-hmm. you're you're just doing something as innocuous as reading, and that you're not giving them their attention. That attention, you know. So, when I first told my my family I was moving um, to the other state, their reaction was like, "Great!" It was like, "Oh my God, what about me? I can't believe you're doing this to the family." And I'd be like, "We're not even a family to begin with. Mm-hmm. What is this? What are you talking about?" And then it would start World War Three because they knew I would say something like that. They knew I wouldn't go. Oh well sorry, you know, I was confrontational like that at that point. But me moving to another state, it, the reaction wasn't, oh, let me get you a rice cooker or let me get you, let me help you, let me give you a gas card or that's awesome. It was, oh my God, what about me? Yeah, they, they just couldn't be happy for you. No, no, not anything. Even if I was going like for the weekend somewhere, uh, you know, I'm going here, oh my God, well, why didn't you call me? Or what about, you know, well, I'm having this problem or blah, 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 blah. And then you get 11 texts whilst you're driving down to the beach, you know, many dissertations of hate because God forbid you're going to the beach. Mm-hmm. That's how it was all the time. So in your email mm-hmm. to me, you said you wanted to stop or you're, you know, you want to stop this, the four generation cycle of this narcissistic abuse. So with you, how does it, how does in your mind, how does this stop? Like where, where, what is needed to be done on your end? Because obviously you're not in contact with, you're, you're not going to be in contact with your family anymore. Uh, do you want to start your own family? Have you started your own family? And if, if so, what are you going to, you know, a lot of people that are in your situation, um, even when they try to stop from these things happening, uh, those old things might come back into play uh, that they can't stop. So they have to relearn how to, interact possibly with their child, uh, in the future, even though, you know, but you know what I mean? Absolutely. You do. You have to, your muscle memory for being a human being is so off, you know, healing from this. And, you know, I have to say this too, not everybody can go no contact. And that's just, I'm not, I'm not someone who's no contact. It's like, everybody needs to go no contact. That's not even possible for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it, it really is. So anybody that like pushes no contact on other people, that's a red flag because that's not possible for a lot of people. Oh, well, it really uh, isn't. When you go onto uh, forum boards. Uh... Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. That's a whole new show. <laughs> Do you know what my mm-hmm. <laughs> the lowest rating, uh, the, the, the least amount of uh, listeners I've ever had on this podcast, and the short amount of this podcast has exists, the least amount of listeners is the one where I complained about forum boards. And, oh, well, and, then we need to have another show about it because they need some talking about Because <laughs> I went on, you know, I was kind of new to the community and I went on to like forum boards on, on Facebook. I was so heavily triggered 
by like mm-hmm. I like I was re- I was reading these forum boards and literally in my mind my hands were up in front of my face shielding me from like everyone just barking do it this way this, this person's wrong do, you're not don't talk to these people ever again I know what's right and it was like holy cow like this is just a wild west of uh, even a, a, no moderator can moderate what's going on it's impossible. It's madness. I have had an experience like that, and I do not go on them anymore because, for one, they were helpful at a point, but, one, I was triggered, and I mean that in, with a capital T, and, two, I, had, I saw red flags. And I said, you know what? There's something not right about what's going on here. And when I, I went to delete said um, my, uh, what do you call it, profile on this, you, you couldn't. There was no delete button. And I was like, that's very odd. So... I had asked to delete, and anyways, make a long story short, they like, oh, you're banned, because I asked. I was like, oh, that's fine. I want to get out of here anyway, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, you know, the, the, the thing that I have with that is that I think a lot of those places, they can be good places, but I've noticed they can incubate a lot of the, the, the victimization and the trauma as opposed to sort of elevating over it. Mm-hmm. And you, you should never tell somebody, even your therapist, unless someone obviously is in super danger. It, no contact is not on one size fits all. Mm-hmm. It does not. My situation is very unique. I know there's probably people out there that probably would like to, but couldn't. And that's, you know, you just learn how to, to work it. You, you don't, but anybody who tells you, you have to stop saying that person, that's red flag. That's just, no, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, no, I get that. Um, I, what did you ask me? <laughs> no, I was just, when you said forums, I was like, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, no, I guess no. before uh, the forum board stuff, I the question I asked was along the lines of, and let me try and think of this. I'm trying to remember too. Uh, <laughs> um, How to it, live your life? I don't, it, it, <laughs> I don't remember. Everybody be happy. You can be happy after narcissistic abuse you absolutely can't 100 <laughs> uh, uh, what was i talking about i i, I, I was uh, asking the question of i don't i don't i, I completely lost my train of thought of where i was because we went off on well i'm well, sorry well i mean i think my... you were saying something about do you find a new oh yeah you were, do you find a new family you know, after, after narcissistic abuse, do you find a new family or how do you, yeah, you were talking about family. Uh, no, just you know, a, you, after narcissistic abuse, uh, well, kind of where you are now, uh, yeah. you know, you've got to where you got, um, all, all, all on your all, pretty much all on your own, which is hard. Well, to I do. had therapy. You so had therapy, uh, but still, you know, hard to do. Like how long has it been since you've, uh, had this happen? Since you since you went overseas, since I've been no contact, yeah. Oh, it's been years. Oh, it's been um, years. So I've been I've been back for two years now, and like I said, I cut I cut contact in two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, mm-hmm. and I I I have to say that I do have a you know my husband is a very supportive, loving human being who supports me one hundred percent, and I, it took me. Sorry, pardon? I remembered. <laughs> I Go remember, for it. I remember. No, it's good. Go. Say it now. <laughs> I remember. Uh, to cut this, the, the abuse, 
uh, so it doesn't happen again. You want it to stop the yeah. cycle of abuse. Yeah. Do you plan on having a family uh, with your husband or not? And if so, uh, um, how do you not fall? How are you planning on maybe falling not into the traps of repeating what was done to you? Well, uh, that's a very good question. How to stop? How to stop the cycle? Well, I stop the cycle on my end by extracting myself from it. Yes. So that's how I did it, and then healing myself and taking myself out of that system. That's how I. That's how I stopped it. Whether it's, whether it goes on continues for another four generations needs to know. But for me, it ends. Does it continue? Well, I do not have children, and I'm probably not going to have children. I'm a little bit older, and just not that I don't like them. It just didn't work out that way for us. We're not really keen on having kids. We have a very lovely life where we travel a lot. Um, but, you know, whew. Do you feel, do you, do you feel, do you, do you feel well, like you've been through so much and been kind of a parent to everyone else in a way that it's time for you? Yeah, I do. I do feel that. I don't, I don't have the energy, I think, to raise uh, all, your, all, all of your energy is completely yeah. kind of gone. Like even like, Pardon? Uh, all of your energy is gone, even though people might say to you, you'd make a great parent. You're great with children. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah. You're- and I love kids. Kids love me. I'm like, I don't know. They, they gather around me. I think it's because I don't infantilize them and I'm, you know, very gentle with them, but I, I don't, I don't think I have the energy for that. I don't, I don't. And it was you know, all used my up. husband's not. Yeah. I, sadly, as far as that goes, I do. And you know, we have, you know, I would, I love to volunteer and help. There's so many other children out there that need help. Maybe I'll adopt one day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I have fur babies. I, um, I rescue, I have a rescue cat who I love and, um, you know, it, it manifests in that way. And I, 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 I hope to, to be able to give back that way. Cause I think that's important. I think if you go through something like this, like kind of like what you're doing, that you don't realize how many people you help, even just with the humor and, 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 and just how like me listening to a podcast, this complete stranger walking up a hill, having not a bad day, but having a day where things are a little rough and just elevating, just the talking about it and elevating me so that I can, you know what, I can transcend a little bit and that, that helps, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we're here for. Uh, yeah, it, it is. When I, you know, my favorite uh, podcasts that aren't wrestling podcasts are, uh, are, are, are not self, yeah, I guess they're kind of self-help podcasts. Like I love a couple addiction podcasts. Uh, I love Beautiful Anonymous. I don't know if you ever listened to Beautiful Anonymous. It's a great no, pod- but I will check it uh, out. It's a great, it's a great podcast. The guy takes a, awesome. uh, a question from someone every, and he has to stay on the phone with them every hour and he discusses their problem with them. And it's all done with a sense of humor. Um, and just wonder, just you, you get into personal stories of people and I've listened to a lot of podcasts where they have celebrity upon celebrity, but they're not real. Nothing is, is real. They're just kind of retelling yep. whatever they're yep. doing. And I just found that listening to uh, everyone's regular stories, everyone's, this, you know, we all poop, you know, we all have the same problems. And everyone, no matter how normal or wherever you live in the world, uh, you're all, you know, we're all in this together. And uh, listening to other people that have gone through the same problems uh, is cathartic and it's, and it's validating that, you know, that it's not, you're not crazy. <laughs> I think that's the number one thing. We're not, that's it. We're not crazy. That's it. Yeah. 
That's that's a new name of this podcast should be. Yeah, and that's it. But you just nailed it. Like, I love listening to people's stories, like you said. Like, I definitely gravitate myself towards real-life stories because I'm looking for those bits of truth and, and stuff so that I can, you know, healing from narcissistic abuse can be very lonely. You know, we're, we're a bunch of people watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts, trying to figure out what the fuck happened to us because it's not, it's, it's really not mainstream. It should be. Um, it's sort of like on the fringe. And even then people are like, Oh, narcissistic abuse. Everybody's a narcissist kind of stuff. But people like myself and like yourself and, and other people that are either raised in it or married to someone who have relationship. It's so, it's so discombobulating to yourself, to your soul. And not only that to not have, you know, it's, it's not like, how do you des- describe that kind of stuff to people? How do you, how do you, I didn't even have the words for it until this whole, like, I was so lucky to have begun my healing in this time where all these podcasts, all these YouTube and all this stuff is coming out. It just seems like it's like, it's time. Like, cause in the nineties and the, in the in late, in the early two thousands, I don't remember anything like this. All the stuff and literature that I got was in a library mm-hmm. or the DCM, you know, the DSM, sorry. And that was, you know, clinical and different. And, you know, so it's, I feel like the tide is turning for that because people are coming out and people are speaking their truth. And like you said, they're getting validation and, and that's huge because you can, you can transcend, you don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like for, for me with, yeah. po- with podcasts, uh, I just, I was, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, <laughs> I can't even spit words out of my mouth. I had just got out of this traumatic uh, experience and it was 19, sorry, it was, I was about to say 19, it was 2015 and I wasn't big into podcasts and I flipped on my Apple TV and I went onto the podcast and for some reason the Alanis Morissette podcast uh, popped up and she's really big into self-help. So I listened to the first episode and I remember sitting there going, Alanis gets me. (laughs) And she, yeah. she, you know, she, cause she, at this point she wasn't, you know, big into music anymore. And she was a, telling her, her story of her life and her struggles and it was real. Oh yeah. And like, cause she went into like a real deep hole of depression for a very long time. And it was the first time uh, I, I was just my first foray, just sitting there listening on my couch of this person telling me what they were going through and their experience in relationships. And I was like, Alanis gets me. And then I listened to Jagged Little Pill uh, for my first time in like 20 years at that point. And I'm like, wow, Alanis is so smart beyond her years. I didn't even hear what she was trying to say because her relationships right? at, the, at that point were... I mean, pretty devastating to her. And I was like, okay. And that kind of really jump-started me to want to get better and uh, to figure out what was going on. And that that had nothing to do with narcissism in general. Just this person's story got me up and got me listening and got me thinking. And then I started buying books uh, that might be, uh, that were recommended. And I started getting into everything. And it set me on a path and... Uh, that path kind of now led me, it, it led me here. These things. And that's how it works, isn't it? Like yeah. the spiritual or the the journey, it starts with a thing or a person or a song or someone saying something and then you just go and it's little by little and you just keep following it, you know, as long as you keep following it, you know, and you Absolutely. follow it. So that, yeah. so that, that's, uh, 
that, that I'm, 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 I'm telling too much of my story today. I'm not, I'm, I'm not well, no, I, 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 I'm actually interested in your story. Can I ask you a question? Go do for you, it. Um, does, does your family know you do a podcast? Do they listen to it or how does that work out for you? Well, this is, that's a very good question. It's a very, very good question because there's so many, um, there's so many variables to this question. Mm-hmm. And the answer is, they know I do a podcast on narcissism. I don't tell them what, uh, where to listen to it. Uh, I don't want them to listen to it. Uh, and it hasn't, really has to do with my, like, it, it's, it's a protective layer um, that, I, that I put out there. And I do that because my whole life, you know, there was one moment, I, I don't like to talk terribly about, you know, my dad, because my dad, you know, I don't think he realizes that he is the way he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, totally. So I don't, uh, you know, sometimes I'll bring up certain things, but uh, there's a way of being a, 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 like your family can say that they are behind you a hundred percent, but deep down, you know, that they're, they are not. And, oh, yeah. and they can say, they don't have to say words to do it. Or so I protect myself because every time I share these extracurricular things, I'm um, made out to be uh, strange or weird or that it will fail. Um, And I've, you know, I've had the words in my life saying after you fail at doing this, then, you know, uh, my last project that I was doing, you know, it it, it failed, but I tried. Um, and, and when I, when I told, when I finally told them, oh, this is what it is, this is where you can look at it. And then to have the remarks back being said to me, said to you, goes, oh, I don't think it's very good. I don't like it. Uh, but you know what? That's my opinion. And I'm, and I'm allowed to have my opinion. So when I, I don't want to hear negativity. Uh, so, Absolutely. so even though, you know, a part of this podcast is about them mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> and in a way I don't want them to listen to it. Uh, part of it is because. Uh, I don't want that brought back to me because what they do is they try to get too involved and they try mm-hmm. to then invade that and try to micromanage. Well, how's this? And then all of a sudden your day to day is getting my day to day would be uh, getting a phone call here or there. Like every third day, you know, you're trying to do your best. You're trying to grow. You're trying to make things better. And. Uh, you know, and then they're just like, how come it hasn't grown uh, this much in three days? Or how come, you know, you get all this negative stuff thrown your way. I don't think they realize yeah. what they do. So uh, I do it as a protective measure uh, now. And I don't like them to know much that goes on in my life because I need that because I don't like... Um, you know, the nitpicking and, you know, my brother, Absolutely. My, my brother is a scapegoat. And from his perspective, he became what he became at a very young age. But he also, from a very young age, I knew he had a lot of problems that had nothing to do with that. He was very um, mm-hmm. off the handle at a very, very, very young age. But, uh, you know, that kind of became a scapegoat and he would be nitpicked. And then later on, when he let's say he went he went to university uh, I then went from like not having being nitpicked really and being, being left alone to being the next in line to be, uh, have something wrong with them. So when he's not around, it goes on to the next person, yep. uh, whoever's next in line and you don't realize that's kind of what's going on. So, um, 
you know, a lot of my life is I'm going to go hang out with these people, but I'm always waiting for the shoe to drop of how you're going to be be nitpicked. So you're hanging around with them feeling uncomfortable a lot of the time, which is not a lovely thing to do. Uh, or be around. It's not uh, an environment. Your body feels it the whole entire time. So, you know, even things, you know, I've had eating disorders. I, you know, I was, there was this picture up in, in, my, in my family's uh, home of me and my dad at the age of 21, and we went to Las Vegas. And everyone looks at that picture, and they probably say, you look great. I was manorexic. <laughs> and, oh yeah, no. you know, uh, like, uh, um, my family has a thing with uh, vanity, and especially there's, you know, one person in our family uh, who always nitpicks on your weight. And if he's not nitpicking oh on someone God. else. Are we related? <laughs> <laughs> so like, even in the last, uh, let's, let's say, four months, you know, my, my parents are uh, snowbirds. So they go away somewhere warm in the winter and they come back. So before they went away, I got, uh, you know, I was told that I should work out more. And then, you know, like all stuff happening with my brother, they come, they come back and all of a sudden uh, I get looked at and he said, you need to put on weight. You look, you're too skinny. You're too skinny. And then I gained some weight back because, you know, this is what I, you know, I, I take this to heart. And then all of a sudden again, like three weeks later, I'm too fat again. And, um, it's not said in those words. It's said in, in more subtle ways, uh, more of like, sure. yeah, you should be doing a little bit more sit-ups there, don't you think? Um, mm-hmm. Just little things like that. These comments, uh, they don't realize, uh, in my opinion, uh, the power of these things. I don't think they realize uh, or have the, uh, the emotional IQ to understand uh, what they do or how they are. So I don't uh, get into it with them in that sense, because they're never, they're not going to change. They're old. And so for me, that's, uh, kind of what it is. So uh, do I walk on eggshells? Uh, no, but I'm just never easy. I try to now have them less involved and kind of try to create boundaries and things like that. Yeah. And I, I get that when I was, very low contact. I mean, before I even knew what that meant, that's how I maneuvered around my family. I didn't share any new ventures or any new schooling that I would do because it would always be like, oh, what now? Or didn't you just finish this? Or when are you going to pick a career or some shit like that? So I, I get that. And you, you end up editing, not even editing, you end up like sharing less and less because it's, it, it's just an, a, a way that they open up for criticism. And, and when, I sh- when I went no contact and I didn't hear that anymore, it still took me a while to shut those voices off when I would do something new or when I would have a new idea or want to do something. Um, it, it, it's like I was, there's like something sabotaging in my head. So I had to turn those voices off, but I, I totally get that. I, I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, the more you share, the more you open yourself up to uh, criticism. And yeah. that's that's the sad part because you would like to share what you're doing because you think you're doing yeah. something good, and you know now the, what I've kind of shared so far what I've shared like the, now the comments are when are you monetizing that thing? Uh, when when are you going to be on Oprah? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're wasting a lot of time doing that. Uh, when when is it going to make you a dollar? And uh, so that's yeah. kind of you know they never see the the good part of, you know, yeah. these types of things or things. So you have your, ba- you have your boundaries in place. 
<laughs> I, I, I have my boundaries in place, but I still feel it's sad that I have to have boundaries like this. But uh, you, you nailed you nailed it. You nailed something that I have been going through. Like I guess the last I don't want to say because you're always healing. It's sad. It's it, it is sad. It's sad when you look at this. Is what my therapist is teaching me about acceptance. Like I, I, I all these terms that I was having a hard time understanding. Like what does it mean? Like I have to accept that my family is a sad situation. That is a sad thing. You can't change it. You you know. The, positive side of you that probably wants to do it and wants to, but like you said, they're not going to change. So why, you know what I mean? Why do it when you know the outcome, but it, it is, it is sad. And that's something that I've actually sat with a lot as of late, which is like the last bit of mourning, looking at my family and going, yeah, you know, my mom is the way she is and my sister, but it makes me sad. Like I don't wish them unwell. You know, I wish we could be better, but we can't and we never will. That's just a fact. And it, it at the end of the day, it is sad. That's it. Yeah, it's sad. And, uh, like, pretty much my, my, my sister understands everything that's gone on herself. And she has her own uh, life and, and difficulties with, uh, you know, because she has a different mom than I do. Uh, who's, mm-hmm. and, her, and her mom is off of a chart. Uh, terrible person. And so mm. she, she's, she has the same emotional IQ as I do. And, you know, I think we both look at it right now. If, I don't know you know who Bob Forrest is. He's on uh, This Life with, uh, Bob, with Dr. Drew. And he had a documentary, and there was in a, a line in his documentary where he said, your experience is worth nothing unless you share it. So mm. uh, that's kind of where we're at with sharing our stories and uh, helping other people. And I think that's... Uh, the best thing you can do out of a sad situation is to help others who are in the same sad, sad situation. That's it. That's yeah. it. And reaching out to, you know, people that are alone that the madness of this, you know, is you feel like you're, you're crazy. And when you reach, I remember the first time I read Peter Walker's book, I felt like he's getting in my head. He knows exactly. He speaks the language of this kind of abuse that you just feel like it's, you know, you're going nuts. But yeah. You have to share. Mm-hmm. You have to, absolutely. So Especially be, when you're at a point. Yeah, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You continue, you continue. No, no, I was battling. No worries. Uh, oh, no, so, so before, <laughs> we, before we wind down here and end this off, what is something you want to share or enlighten uh, everyone out there who was raised by narcissists or is maybe dating someone who's been raised by a sociopath or, or a psychopath who doesn't understand uh, what's going on? Um, Anything uh, as your last words? Trust your instinct. Trust your instinct. Okay. About people. Trust it. Trust it. And how about trust, how about, how about trust yourself? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Is that something Absolutely. you've had? Is, is that the hardest thing you've had to do? Yes, because when you doubt your instinct, you're actually doubting yourself. Yes. That's the hand in hand when you're trusting, and, and you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm going to rephrase that. Trust yourself, which yeah. is trust your instinct. Because 100%. I, I took a, uh, a coaching program. I actually am everyone out there. I actually am a certified uh, coach, but I, I, I don't uh, use it. I just talk to people. Uh, and well, you're the, using it now. Use, <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely good. And the, uh, it was a very good school that I went to, and they, uh, when they were teaching you, they wanted you to 
they they taught you individually. So your program was uh, your curriculum was uh, was perfectly set for you as an individual. They knew your personality to a T. And the one thing uh, they said they said to me, they said, do you, what, what are your problems? And I said, I have trust issues. And they said, with who? And I said, I don't trust other people a lot. And they said, no, yeah. you don't trust yourself. Once you trust yourself, everything else will fall into place. And that's what you have to work on. So everyone wow. from Sophia and myself, trust yourself. And yeah. I just want, I just want to uh, thank you for being on the show. This, this has been a great thank conversation. You, thank you so much for, for one, having me on the show. I really appreciate it. But also thank you for the work that you do. And your everybody should go to your website and check out your comic book. It is a freaking riot. I roared. I thought it was great. And I love that you're using humor because so many, there's nobody else out there doing this kind of work that's using the humor that you're using. Well, and it helps diffuse the anxiety. It's just, it, I, I love it. Well, I'm a huge fan. Wait until my, uh, so right now I'm editing my book. I might actually change a couple of things in my book, but uh, <laughs> my book is the most off the wall uh, book you'll ever read on uh, narcissism. There's a million things. I can't, it's hard to tell you the story of what goes on, but it's a character who's kind of me to an, a, a level of a hundred and uh, my therapist uh, is my sidekick in it. And in, there's impromptu uh, therapy sessions within it when I'm writing and he thinks that I'm triggered, that he'll... Oh, you listen to the, my, the, the podcast, The Mental Health Network. So it, 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 That's uh, how I found you. I cannot wait to read this. I thought it was such a brilliant concept. I, I, and I, there's nothing like it in the narcissistic healing community as far as that goes. There's nothing like it. And I thought it was just amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really will be the weirdest um, narcissist uh, kind of self-help because a lot of everything in there is pretty ludicrous. But some of the things that I've realized while uh, on the show, because, you know, I've had experience being raised by, by a narcissist and I've also had the experience of, uh, you know, being in a relationship and had friends that were uh, in a sociopath nature. So I've, I've experienced oh, yeah. all, all realms. And, the, you know, being, uh, having this podcast, uh, we've had some people on, it's, uh, Miriam that's been on before when she was telling us uh, her story. If anyone hasn't listened to the episode, it's, uh, you know, her story is crazy. And uh, it's, uh, I, I didn't think that what some of the things that I wrote were, I thought they were so absurd and ludicrous. And then I heard her story and I'm like, wow, my thing was meant to be ludicrous. And now I heard her, th- her story and it's not as ludicrous as I thought it was, even though I've tried to make it sound that way. So a lot of the things that I did write um, kind of are in still the core of everything is true. Um, kind of like the show Arrested Development, if you've ever watched Arrested Development. Oh, it, I love that show. It's abs- I love that show. It's, it's absurd. But at the same time, the core of all of their narcissism is the truth. It's the truth. Absolutely. So... Absolutely. Anyway. No, uh, I, I, continue. I do. I would say I can't wait to read it. So I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be reading it. Well, thank you. You're, you're my first reader and thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you. And I will continue to be a fan and listen. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. And for everyone out there, have a good day. You too. And that was my conversation with Sophia. And I thought uh, that was a pretty uh, energized show. We talked about a lot of different stuff. We got along pretty good. 
And uh, before we, I leave you guys today, there are a couple things that uh, I wanted to discuss. And we talked a lot about somatic experiences. And if people didn't understand what we were talking about, how the body keeps a lot of uh, some trauma uh, that you're carrying inside you and really knows what's going on and your body doesn't lie to you and even though your brain uh, might be the one. So just a couple of books that people might want to buy. One of them is called uh, Getting Our Bodies Back by Christine, uh, Christy, uh, Christine Caldwell. And the other one after that is called The Body Keeps Score, Brain, Mind, Body, uh, Healing for Trauma. Uh, both of them I've read. They're both very good books. Uh, I've done some somatic experiences, uh, somatic healing in my life, and it's done actually uh, wonders, uh, especially for the, for me. It did wonders uh, for an eating disorder and how I carried my body and how I noticed the change uh, of how I can relax after the fact. So uh, this stuff does work uh, if you do your work uh, to try and figure out uh, unlocking the secrets of what's going on inside your body. And besides that, uh, I really want to thank Sophia once again. And uh, hopefully everyone out there is listening to her podcast, uh, wants to give us some five-star ratings, wants to give us some reviews. Uh, How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse is on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, and ones that I don't even know. I think we're, we're on CastBox. So uh, keep on doing that. It helps out the show and spread the word. Tell your friends. And if you know someone who wants to write about us, uh, write about us. I think we're a pretty good show. Uh, <laughs> that's my opinion. I'm looking down my notes of other things to, to talk about. But uh, I think that is all. Oh, there's one last thing. I, in this episode, I did mention... Uh, that episode three was the episode to uh, kind of lift the podcast to another level where people started listening, where I started talking about my family. I think it was more around like episode five or six. It's the one that's called the story of of, uh, manipulation. And so just to be specific, uh, if you went looking back for episode number three and you couldn't find it there. And now I'm going to stop. Now I'm just going to thank Sophia one last time and hopefully she'll like the drawing I'm going to make of her. And thanks for listening to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. That was a handful. I am Chad the Impaler. Thanks for listening. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm.